Welcome to Rich Conversations. Today I'm joined by Remington Tonar. Something I've been thinking about lately is the future of capitalism. With the pandemic and the surge of energy coming from the Black Lives Matter movement, what does the system look like in America's future? How can we work together to create something better that reflects our shared values? I want to better educate myself. Remington and I go way back, and he's an awesome person to talk to about this. He's now the chief revenue officer at the largest startup community in Texas called The Cannon. You can follow him at Remington Tonar. All right. So something that's been on my mind recently is the future of capitalism. And I thought, who best to talk to than Rem Tonar? And here we have Rem Tonar all the way from Houston. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Thanks, Rich. Uh, so Remington Tonar here. Uh, I'm currently the chief revenue officer at a company called The Canon. The Canon is uh, the largest startup community in Texas and the largest uh, largest shared workspace provider uh, in Houston. We operate over 200,000 square feet of, of co-working and incubator space, uh, and we provide services to startups, investors, uh, companies and governments, uh, established companies and governments uh, to help them catalyze innovation within their organizations, within their cities or counties. Uh, and uh, we also have an investor network. Uh, and a lot of my background has been in corporate innovation, corporate growth strategy consulting, as well as in venture capital uh, and venture capital fund management. So uh, I have a broad um, kind of understanding of capitalism from the perspective of both large corporations, um, many of which I worked with as a consultant, but then uh, also from the investment side uh, of the equation as uh, and from the entrepreneurial side uh, of the equation. Awesome. Okay, so capitalism has been on my mind recently, especially with, uh, you know, the COVID-19 situation going on. And then you have um, police brutality and and Black Lives Matter movement really gaining some steam. And it feels like there's there's a, a change coming in the country somewhere, somehow. And I, I'm just thinking about, like, what what does it look like in the future? And if you could give a summary of, like, what what is capitalism? Yeah. So, uh, well, that's an excellent question. And I would say that the definition of capitalism is not uncontroversial. Uh, and capitalism is often um, used as a synonym for the free market or a free market economy, um, mm -hmm. which which uh, historically it was a pretty safe um uh, it was pretty safe to interchange those terms, capitalism and, and a free market economy, but but today it's probably not. Uh, but but uh, initially, the idea of capitalism as a macroeconomic system, as a, as a system of of economics that allows us to exchange value. Um, in a way that's kind of mediated by a specific set of rules, capitalism was designed to favor the the input of kind of capital machinery initially, or assets, or resources, or even labor, which is a which is an asset or a factor of production. Um, and the term factor of production is an, a classical economics term that was used by uh, you know Adam Smith among others. But um, all of these factors of production were uh, input into the system. And then from those factors, you were able to extract value 
out of the system. Uh, and then, you know, the free market element of that is that the goods or products or services that emerge uh, from that system are able to be exchanged freely, um, you know, using the medium of money. Uh, and money, you know, a lot of people don't realize this or, or never really think about it, but money is an entirely social construct. It's entirely made up. Uh, you know, there's absolutely no, there's no people value. People have a hard time. Uh, yeah, people don't. Yeah, people are like, what do you mean it's made up? I, you know, this, this, you know, I've been working my whole life to make money and you're telling me it's, you know, it's just a, it's a made up construct. Well, yes, it is. Um, you know, if you think of a dollar bill, for example, it's worthless. It's cotton. And, uh, you know, the, the copper in an old copper penny is worth more than a penny now. Uh, so the, these, the, the, the idea of money is made up. Now most money is transacted digitally uh, and electronically, right? So no one uses paper money or, or coinage anymore. But the reason we have money uh, in a market system, in a market economy, is because if I grew cattle, if I raised cattle, Rich, and you baked bread uh, and we were in a barter system, uh, and you wanted just, you know, a slice of, of beef. Well, how do I know how much your bread is worth? Uh, or maybe you want a whole cow. But now in order to get a whole cow, to buy a whole cow, you're going to have to make bread for a year just for me yeah. to buy my whole cow, Exchange, right? Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, that's that doesn't make any sense. So money became a medium. Money has, has always been a medium of exchange. It allows us to fractionalize the value of things so that uh, we can buy anything we want uh, without having to barter or negotiate in ways that sometimes are totally impractical, like the bread yeah. uh, cattle example. So that's why we have money, uh, and it only has value because we place value on it. Now, money is, a, is an important instrument uh, in a free market economy, uh, and, and in capitalism, uh, broadly speaking, uh, the types of capital that capitalism was built on had nothing to do with money. Uh, they were really more about those factors of production that I was talking about. But now, today, fast forward. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, you're picking up right where like Adam Smith comes in. But it, yes. it, capitalism kind of goes even deeper than that. Like like the 1300s, or even before the 1300s, it was like like Asian countries and, you know, uh, that whole, I'm looking at a map right now, like, the East Coast of Africa, India, Asia, they were all trading amongst each other. Yes. Um, so so trade, but trade is not the yeah. trade, trading and trade is not the primary feature of capitalism. Uh, the primary feature of capitalism is a system that rewards uh, certain inputs in a private uh, in, in a private setting. Right. So, so then it's like uh, so then. So, so most of the trade, think yeah. about this, most of the trade pre-Adam Smith, right, before the 18th century, uh, the vast majority of trade was government-sponsored, right? And the vast majority of explorations uh, and, you know, these, these expeditions sent out, like Columbus, for example, most of those were government-sponsored uh, because the governments were really the only groups that had enough capital or money uh, to be able to, to fund uh, those ex expeditions. So uh, there's a lot more uh, government sponsorship of things, government controlled most of the system. So you have like mercantilism, which is uh, which is a prior system, feudalism, which is a prior yeah. system where you have landowners that really control the economy or the government or the emperor or the king controls the economy, which is how it was really before capitalism. So in capitalism, though, what happens is you have the entrance of private Red, ownership. Don't, you don't have to talk so fast. This is how I talk. You know that. <laughs> uh, that's really funny. Uh, here in Texas, and you'll appreciate this, Rich. Here in Texas, uh, and and for your listeners and viewers, uh, you know, I spent, uh, I you know, I kind of cut my teeth in New York, and 
and then became a, a fast talking suit wearing New Yorker. But uh, here in Texas, I talk three or four times faster than the average uh, business professional here, they, they'd still be back on introducing themselves. Uh, <laughs> if at school. Uh, but uh, the uh, so so the, yeah, the joint joint stock companies come about, right? Yeah, joint. Well, st- well, before stock, you have to have you have to establish a mechanism for private ownership, right? Uh, and and that's what kind of the modern system of capitalism really really does. It creates a mechanism whereby the private ownership of assets. Right. Can be rewarded for the, the value that those that those capital assets create. Right. So the, the difference was you had labor before capitalism. You had labor, uh, you had money, uh, you had land. But a lot of those things weren't privately owned and private owners in many cases weren't allowed to take those factors of production and use them to create value for themselves or their family or their employees. Um, they, would, you know, they have to go through like the. The government of whoever. Yeah, the government or or the the kingdom or, you know, whatever, whatever wealthy landlord, uh, you know, or or feudalistic lord, the king appointed to oversee that land. Right. Okay. Uh, So the so the entrance of private ownership is really important in the evolution of capitalism is and is is really one of the one of the things that demarcates capitalism, modern capitalism, from the systems of economics that uh, preceded it. And, uh, uh, you know, John Locke, uh, in his um, second treatise on government, you know, talks about, uh, you know, this idea of ownership and what it means to own something. Uh, and that that is that wasn't that long ago. Right. So this idea of private ownership and that people can own factors of production that they use to create value and that that value belongs to them is something that is relatively modern. Who would you say who are the biggest names of of capitalism and like the thinkers that have influenced what we know as capitalism today? Well, certainly Adam Smith, obviously, who is generally so this is wealth of nations. This is the wealth of nations, which was published in uh, a very conspicuous year, 1776. Uh, and a lot of and a lot of people think that the most important thing that happened in 1776 was, uh, the, you know, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, one could argue that, uh, in fact, it was actually the publication of The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. And Adam Smith today is generally regarded as the father of, of modern capitalism, uh, because in, in The Wealth of Nations, uh, he kind of lays out this this uh, idea that people you know, should should be able to uh, work for themselves right, and create value for themselves uh, and use their land and their labor to create value for themselves, not, you know, some king or your feudal landowner. Um, And that at the time was a pretty revolutionary idea. So I've been on this reading binge and I'll check out like 50 books at a time from the library. And I remember there's, uh, so I haven't read Wealth of Nations yet. Most of it's really boring. Like most of it's (laughs) like, it's like 18th century literature. Oh man, this is going to kill me. It's so thick and intimidating. And then, um, so so I have like 50 books at a time just it's it's kind of like music of like what what mood am I feeling and I yep. you know I I take that book and I have them all on hand so I can be selective and then I've also checked out uh Communist Manifesto by yep. Karl Marx yep. and I mean who's who's probably like would you say the the opposite or of Adam Smith or yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, perhaps, I mean, in, they weren't contemporaries, really, but, uh, well, it, you know, I mean, M- Marx is, 
most people would say that Karl Marx was or is the the kind of uh, other pole to Adam Smith. Um, yeah. What's what's really wild is I think that time history has been very kind to Marx, and and you know eventually Rich will talk about capitalism today um, and its discontents, but Karl Marx has been proven in many ways uh, correct or vindicated by history, and I say that as a capitalist. Uh, many of the predictions Marx made and observations Marx made at the time. It, principally in like Das Kapital, um, which is his, you know, kind of massive uh, original tome, uh, have proven to be more or less correct, or at least uh, correct enough where uh, even the most ardent capitalist, like Smithian capitalist, has to admit that um, Marx has merit. Uh, and, you know, during the Reagan era, uh, Karl Marx was was kind of public enemy or historical enemy number one. Right? <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, a, a socialism is this evil empire. And, you know, of course, at the time during the Cold War, that made a lot of sense. But objectively speaking, the principles that socialism is founded upon, you know, are rooted in valid critiques, valid Marxian critiques of capitalism. Um, and, and, you know, most people, most capitalists and most Republicans like myself are not willing to admit that, but uh, you know, uh, I I I am, and uh, I think that we'll, you know we'll continue to see Marx's influence kind of grow or or make a resurgence in the coming decade. The central idea of capitalism is really efficiency, maybe, right? Well, I think the central idea of, and we need to demarcate kind of historical capitalism or capitalism, okay. you know, kind of classical capitalism versus contemporary capitalism, let's say, right? So, so capitalism is this like engine, this like system. It's a system. It's and an it's economic cha- system. It's kind of changed throughout time. It's absolutely on, changed. Yeah. It's changed dramatically, in fact, right? I mean, originally it was just all about, uh, you know, individuals and private companies, private individuals and private companies own the factors of production versus the government owning the factors of production, which are those inputs, those kind of input yeah. assets I talked about, right? That was how capitalism was originally conceived. Fast forward. Today, that's not what capitalism means at all. So what you're talking about with efficiency, capitalism did go through a period when it is applied like industrial on like a, capitalism. Industrial capitalism, yeah. right? So, so, but this is you know post Smith, right? So, th- right. so what I was talking about was like capitalism as it was originally conceived, wealth of nations, 18, late 18th century, 1776. Those people are dead, and frankly, that style <laughs> of capitalism is dead as well. So fast forward, uh, the the first industrial revolution. Right. And then, you know, subsequent industrial revolutions take capitalism, that idea of capitalism and apply it from a macroeconomic perspective into the microeconomic perspective. Right. Which is to say it, it gets applied at the firm level or the level of companies. And of course, the company's goal in this capitalist system is now profit. It is now because they control the factors of production. They can now generate profits for themselves. Right. Now, here's the thing. Nothing in capitalism necessarily indicates that the profits that you generate as a private individual you have to keep for yourself right yeah so so capitalism inherently isn't about greed it's just about private people owning uh their own destiny essentially but you can do whatever you want with that destiny if you want to make all this money as a private company or private individual and turn around and just shell it out to anybody who needs it it is your right within capitalism to do that, right? So I think one of the big questions people want to want to ask, really, is when did capitalism start equaling greed, right? Yeah. Uh, Would you and, say is it the industrial age of like? 
No, I, I think I actually think it. I think it. Uh, yes, I mean, I think, but but not because of industrialization, right? I mean, I think what happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's, it's I think like, you see it. It's the with, people. It's the people. It's, the it's you know you see it, you see it with the yeah. robber barons. But he, l- let me get let me just like cut to the chase here. Uh, it's not really industrialization or like companies that cause this to happen. Okay, it is capital markets. It is securities. The the rise of the ability to invest capital mm-hmm. into things passively, right? Okay. And then extract value from those things is what has created the capitalism we know today. So, for example, if you were an entrepreneur early on in the days of capitalism, you would work your ass off. Can I say that on your show? Is that allowed? Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. So, so at, Rich, you know that. Yeah. Well, well, you know, Rich, you you know that uh, I have a podcast with a with a buddy of mine down here, Keith. Uh, who's a fantastic attorney, and we try to keep our our podcast PG-13. So yeah, um, but uh, but good. I'm glad this is R-rated, and I'm sure you know at some point you know you'll get into the X-rated thing because that's really <laughs> hot now. That's basically what TikTok is, right? Um, <laughs> uh, the uh, it shows you how out of touch I am with social media today. But the um, so the ability to then invest capital into a marketplace uh, in securities that allow you to passively earn income is what changes everything, it, 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 I think. And the um, so if you're an entrepreneur so in the classic definition of, here's why, here's you're why. An because if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, you're putting in, you're working your ass off to make right. your company work, right? right. Uh, and you're hiring employees to make your company work. And right. you're creating value for customers or consumers to make your company work. So that's how capitalism is supposed to work. You're, you're, you're working your butt off. You're creating value for yourself and others. Okay. Now, historically, what would happen is you would get this value. You'd get the, the profits from your hard work. Uh, and then you would either, uh, you know, distribute, you know, give your employees raises or invest in the growth of your company so that you can hire more people. Uh, and, uh, you know, and you'll keep some of it and you'll build a bigger house, but that'll hire people through construction, right? You'll get construction workers and architects and the people who make the building materials will have jobs. That's how capitalism is supposed to work. And this is where they, that notion of trickle down economics comes in, uh, which is to say the idea is that, you know, the money you earn, you put back in the economy that at some point we created mechanisms. So that didn't have to happen. Okay. That's a concept from like. 1400s where like the most godly thing was to like be very um like minimal with your money and any surplus you got you put back into your business that was like the godly thing is to be live minimally instead of like aristocracy where everything was like appointed so so a couple things a couple things happened though over the course of history just, just just a couple, just a couple. As it <laughs> pertains to the evolution of capitalism, uh, there are actually just a couple that I think have outsized or disproportionately large impact on what we see from capitalism today. One is the privatization of debt. So uh, uh, debt goes back thousands of years. Debt is an old, old instrument. Okay, But most debt was controlled by governments. And then eventually debt becomes comes to be controlled by churches. This is why, you know, the churches were always really well of all religions were always really wealthy uh, because, you know, they were also the banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that that's handy. So you you take the tithes from your uh, your parishioners or your followers, and then you lend them you lend that money back to them at it at for interest. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a great <laughs> racket. So the uh, so so banks banking and debt 
right, uh, was controlled by the government, then it was controlled by churches, but then at some point you get private bankers, JP Morgan, Merrill Lynch, these guys, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and the private bankers start their own banks and start doing lending, uh, and they're able to make money on that debt without doing anything, okay? Yeah. I can issue you a loan, and I can make money on your work, and I have to do zero, right? Now, here's the thing. The debt still helped, and it still was part of this kind of old-school capitalism because uh -huh. then I would loan to you, and then that money would allow you to go and create more jobs, okay? Mm -hmm. So, but, but debt seeded the path for um, what most people know as, like, the stock market. But I'm going to say securities, broadly speaking, and a security in this context, you know, is just an instrument that you can invest in, right? Uh, and securities change everything. Because with securities, with the securities so market, like your shareholders, right? Exactly. Going exactly. public. This is this is your shareholders. This is having people own a share of your company, right? So at first, this makes sense because I need to raise money for expansion, uh, and uh, I want to sell uh, pieces of my company to other people, maybe my employees, to help fund that expansion. Okay, that's cool. But then what happens is what we call the secondary markets emerge. And a secondary market is what we know today as the New York Stock Exchange or the mm -hmm. NASDAQ or the FTSE or any of the other major stock exchanges worldwide. So on a stock exchange, what you're buying, that, that share of like Apple stock you're buying, mm -hmm. uh, you're not buying that from Apple. You're buying that from – are they on the NASDAQ or stock exchange uh, or New York stock I, exchange? I think Apple's NASDAQ. Um, but uh, most tech companies are NASDAQ, uh, but there are a few large tech companies now that are on the NYSE. But uh, when you buy that share of any company, Apple, whoever, mm -hmm. doesn't matter, right? You're not buying that from that company. You're buying it from someone else or some other investment bank or investment institution typically uh, or index fund or what have you that owns that share. So now you and I are trading shares between each other and making money on those trades, okay? That money never leaves very rarely does that money leave the system right so in mm -hmm. an ipo you know let's say rich hebron inc wants to ipo well you'll get money directly from investors in the ipo but after that they will turn around and trade those shares to other people and make money on those trades but you will see no more of that money the only the only way you'll see that money is in as much as you can issue new shares at that price and then get some of that money. Right. So it does create value in your company, but it doesn't mm -hmm. inject value into the system. Right. Yeah. It creates it creates capital value that's held among a very few, relatively few a number of people in institutions, and usually it just circulates. It just changes hands, yeah. changes hands, changes hands. Like when's the last time you know someone who's cashed out all their stocks and went out and like bought stuff with it? Right? <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't know anybody. Yeah, like, like today people like park their money in the stock market and they watch it grow. Well, yeah. every dollar you park in the stock market and watch it grow, that's one dollar that you have now taken out of the economy. And people are like, oh, it's for my retirement. I'll spend it one day. Honestly, though, if you look at like how wealth is being accumulated in this country, the reason that the baby boomers control like what is it, rich 60, 70 percent of the wealth in this country still is because they don't do that. That's not what people do. Capital money has become an end in and of itself. So now people don't want to have money so that they can spend it on things they want or grow their companies. They just want to have it to have it. And they like seeing yeah. that chart tick up and up and up and up and up. <laughs> and so they, ne they never sell it and they never spend it. Right. And what's happened now is now that that's taking money out of the system. So when you see like rising poverty, rising inequality, like it's no wonder that these these problems are happening because we're leeching money out of our own system. We're leeching money out of the system, parking it in things like the stock market and just horse trading between each other. 
Uh, and the people that control most of that money, you know, that's like the top 1%. Uh, and, and so top 1% controls most of, of that wealth and it just trades hands between the 1%. You know, when's the yeah. last time a billionaire came to you and said, here's some shares in my company? No, they're trading it amongst themselves. Uh, and yes, you know, you can say, well, you know, the pen, you know, people's pension funds invest in those things. Yeah. But, you know, pensions and 401ks today are pretty measly and, and, you know, they get hit by high, uh, investment management fees and those people are the 1%. Yeah. So now they're charging you from your money, money. uh, to right. try to make you more money. So, you know, again, uh, it's derivative value, uh, it's derived value. Uh, that's like the second, that's what secondary securities markets are. And, um, you know, I think that this is the kind of big elephant in the room, if you will, about capitalism, is that capitalism as it exists today is really more about securities than capital. That's a big idea. Well, it's not original to me. I mean, you know, Robert Reich, uh, who is uh, Clinton's secretary of commerce, uh, has written about this. Um, You know, Maria Macuzzo, um, Italian academic, uh, I can't I forget how to pronounce her last name. Uh, her book is called, I think, The Value of Everything. She's written about this. Like a lot of people have written about this, mostly uh, Thomas Piketty, of course, in Capital, which is probably one of the, the best books uh, on economics uh, written in the last 50 years. Uh, what is it? Talks what is about it this. called? It's just called Capital, which is yeah. which is the title of Marx's book, right? So this is like his revisitation of Marxist doctrine in light of the data from the 21st century. And Thomas Piketty's point, and Piketty kind of really started this focus on wealth inequality, even among like the wealthy, right? People talk about wealth inequality in business circles now because of Thomas Piketty. People who are un- who are not wealthy have always talked about inequality, but the wealthy now talk about inequality yeah. because of Thomas Piketty. And in you know, his book, he, he says like, look, the problem with inequality isn't income inequality. It's not that, you it's know, wealth, what, right? it's, it's wealth inequality and yeah. people don't understand this. If you make 50 grand and a doctor next door makes 300, well, he's probably not next door, but the doctor down, down the block makes 300 grand. Like you're, you know, you can look at that and say, wow, this, that's what's causing inequality. That's not actually what's causing inequality. That doctor still works for his money, his or her money, right? The, what, what is causing inequality is passive wealth generation where I have a, a hundred million dollars and I stick it in the stock market or I stick it into private equity funds. And every year, right, I make five, six hundred thousand, maybe, you know, maybe a million, maybe 10 million. Well, if I have a hundred million, I'm probably making 20 or 30 million a year. And you know, you know what I'm doing? You know what I'm doing for work? Nothing. Yeah. I'm not doing a darn thing. And now people will say, well, yeah, but those people are going out and spending more money. Yeah. But I'm spending money on yachts. And the guy who yeah. owns the yacht company is also in, in, you know, in my 1%. So it's like money, having money generates more money. Yes. And, and that's the basic concept. So if. But passively. Passively, the key is right. Passively, yes. Yeah. And, and it's or having passive. it. Yeah. Having it as a tool to then, or energy to just put towards something else where if exactly. you have like a, a set income, it's all, it's, it's getting spent right away. Yep. And it's going to like very essential things and you can't generate that extra energy or, or tools. Exactly. Right? That, that, yep. That's a fair analogy. Uh, and that's what's happening today. So capitalism today has become uh, really about passive wealth generation, right? Mm-hmm. Exponentially uh, generating wealth. 
you know, it's not just I want one dollar more for every dollar I put in. No, now investors expect 30 times, you know, three times the dollars they put in, 30 yeah. percent IRR, crazy returns. The um, so that's what capitalism has become. So you could say I, I actually believe that we don't have a single capitalism in America it does not have uh, a single economy. It has a couple of economies and they don't really interact. Right. The top one, per, the, the, the economy in the top one percent kind of is closed, is a closed system. It's not entirely closed, right? But it is because Warren Buffett still goes to McDonald's. Uh, so, but, but <laughs> He's pumping money right back into the system. <laughs> two, like five bucks a week, right? Anyway, yeah. but this, is, this is my point. Like people are like, oh, well, the, the billionaires go, and the people who are worth a lot go out and spend money. The $5 they spend a day at McDonald's isn't going to make a difference. What's going to make a difference is the tens of billions they have locked up in passive wealth generating assets, right? Uh, which for these guys includes like art, Birkin bags. You know, the Hermes Birkin bag has what, outperformed what's, the S&P. What's a Birkin bag? The Birkin bag, well, your, your female um, audience will, will know what a Birkin bag is. Uh, it's a handbag. It's a purse. Um, okay. It's an, uh, by the, the luxury brand Hermes. And um, the the price today, I, let me see if I can get the the spot price of a Birkin bag today. But it typically it's going to be um, uh, let's see on the low end. They're all six figures, right? Um, so you know it depends on you know the year Is this and everything. A, a but, handbag or like yeah, a... it's just it's just a it's just a handbag. It's a handbag <laughs> that uh, that is you know some of them are worth like four hundred thousand bucks and. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So here's the thing. The Birkin bag in price appreciation on average over the last decade has outperformed the S&P over the last 10 years. The S&P at 500 on average over the last 10 years has underperformed the Birkin bag. So if you got a lot of money, Birkin bag is a good place to park your money. Um, so but if you're in this rarefied, say, 1%, they just can decide what is valuable. They create their own markets. Yeah. They create their own markets. And this is why I'm saying that there's two different economies. Most people cannot participate in that economy, right? Yeah. Most people don't even know what the heck is happening in that economy, but that's the economy that is sucking up most of the wealth on the backs of working Americans. And let me tell you, what I just said sounds really Marxist. Yeah. I mean, that's so what then, Marx would have said. So then a lot of people are frustrated right now about inequality and you have these big momentous things like the COVID-19 pandemic and then then the Black Lives Matter movement is there's a lot of energy and frustration right now. And a lot of it you hear like capitalism as this word. And so what what can we do about the, the wealth inequality? Well, I mean, just on uh, COVID and the Black Lives Matter protests around the, the murder of George Floyd, um, that's a whole nother topic. Uh, have you talked about that on, on your show? Yeah, a yeah. couple episodes ago I did. The um, But, I mean, how many billionaires have you seen out there protesting and how many billionaires do you think are in the hospital right now? Well, first yeah. of all, there's not that many billionaires to begin with. But the point is that when these things happen, the wealthy, it doesn't really bother them because they have enough money uh, yeah. to just do fine. Maybe they, you know, take their private jet out to their yacht and they're, you know, they're, they're you know, going to Bora Bora. No, no one goes to Bora Bora anymore. They're going to, like, uh, you know, the Maldives, nah, it's kind of, you know, passe now too, but they're, they're off in the that South fad, Pacific. That's a fad. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a trend. Yeah, we were on somewhere else. The, uh, uh, there is, um, uh, I just found out about a new place, the ultra wealthy are going, I can't remember the name of it. It'll come to me, but, um, the, uh, you know, they're out there on their big yachts or, you know, kind of in on their estates. They're not bothered by the pandemic. 
right? It just, it, like, they don't have to be affected by it. They can have other people bring them anything they want, anytime they want, you know. Uh, most people still have to go out to the grocery store. So, uh, or, or they have to go to work because they're yeah, in this essential industry and they need to put food on the table. Right. Or they get fired from their job and in order to put food on the table, they have to use uh, a counterfeit bill like George Floyd and then get murdered on the street by the people that are supposed to protect them, right? right. Like that's what's happening to most Americans out there while the ultra wealthy are just sitting pretty, right? So they, yeah. they're not, they're totally unfazed by all of this. And look at, look at the stock market. Unemployment is like, basically, you know, adjusting for a lot of factors at close to like an all time high or, you know, certainly since the depression in this country. Yeah. Right. And the stock market is also like at an all time high. Yeah. There is something fundamentally wrong with that. Fundamentally wrong with that. But, you know, the stock market loves it when people are getting fired because that's more profit to the bottom line in the short term. Yeah. Now, in the long term, there's no one left uh, who has money to buy any of the goods or services from these companies and then their profits will go down. But in the short term, it's a boost to profits. So what can be done about it? Well, the typical answer is just tax the heck out of the rich. This is Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. Thomas Piketty thinks that we should raise the estate tax, right? So you you can't pass a billion dollars on your kid, right? Mm -hmm. um, which, again, keeps the money in a very small pool of people. So the typical answer is let's go and get the government to take these people's money, okay? I don't like that answer. And this is why, even though I agree with like Democrats on what the problem is, mm -hmm. I don't agree with them on their solution, which is why I'm still a Republican, because they just want the government to go and take these people's money. What is the government going to do with it? I can't even get mail correctly here. Right. I mean, you know, it, it, it's like the, the my water in in my my townhome right now in Houston. I have no water service because the government in their construction project down the street broke another main, water main. It's like the third one they've broken this year. The year is not even that old. We're not even halfway through the year. Like, I don't trust the government. The, the government is out there killing black people on the streets. People, yeah. Cops are government employees. I don't trust the government to do anything with anybody's money. OK. And people shouldn't either. The government is not a responsible steward of your money. They're going to take that money and they're probably going to just, you know, enrich government employees. One of the reasons it's so hard to fire bad cops is because of the police unions. Right. I mean, the, like right. the governments and government employees protect their own. That's where the money's going to go. You take the money from the ultra wealthy and give it to the government. It's going to go nowhere. Eighty percent of it is just going to get lost in the system before it actually gets distributed out to anybody. Or they're going to do something silly like let's give everyone a twelve hundred dollar check to fight fight the pandemic. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. We should have taken that money and put it into finding a vaccine faster or rolling out more tests to every man, woman, and child in America, right? We could have mm -hmm. paid for all those things with the, with the measly 1200 bucks we sent out to people. And I get it for that. For some people, that's a lot of money, but they wouldn't need that check if we got the economy going again, right? So like the government is not an efficient allocator of funds. So I don't want the government to take this money because they won't know what to do with it. The solution I see comes down to Joseph Schumpeter, creative destruction and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And this is this is why I do what I do. I believe in the power of creative destruction, which is in capitalism, uh, the notion that old things are constantly being destroyed and replaced with new things. Right. And this is uh, yeah. the, the famous economist, 20th century economist, Joseph Schumpeter, in his book, Capitalism, Socialism and Democracy, um, where he actually concludes that capitalism might not survive. It might destroy itself for the very reasons we're seeing now, um, yeah. even though, though he was a capitalist and, and he draws a lot from Marx and, and really respected Marx. But but uh, this idea of creative destruction is what capitalism is, is how capitalism is supposed to function. It doesn't function like that anymore because people are afraid to take risks. 
and people would rather park their money in uh, you know in some safe index fund than actually take risk with that money to create more net value. So we need to get back to an economy where creative destruction moves capitalism forward. And creative destruction is driven by the power of innovators and entrepreneurs, people who are willing to put their careers, their livelihoods, right? I mean, their 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 pride on the line to create more net value by creating new things, by creating things that people want, by disrupting old things, right? The idea of disruption, yeah. right? If I did, if you're, if, if we have an economy where, where the industries we have today are constantly being disrupted, that's how you churn wealth because yeah. the people that are up at the top making money on these systems today, the entrepreneurs will lay them low, right? And people mm-hmm. like people lament the fall of retail, but for a while, like the people who owned all these big retail companies, that was the 1%. Well, now Jeff Bezos is the 1%. So, mm-hmm. but, but Jeff Bezos now needs to be disrupted. We need to constantly be disrupting. I want people like Bezos, and he's not a great example because he, he is still innovating, right? But I want people at the top to quake in their boots every morning when they wake up that they're gonna lose their wealth to some, to some hotshot entrepreneur. If they feared that, they, would, they wouldn't park their money in an index fund, they'd put it back in the economy because that's the only way they're gonna keep their status and power, right? But they're not afraid. They're not afraid. Of these. They'll just go out and buy the entrepreneur. They're gonna find the people that they want and buy them for cheap. Right. So we need to get to an economy where we are actually catalyzing creative destruction. That's the only way that we're going to survive. Is it part of it, too, that the fear of risk and innovation, a lot of people are dependent on jobs and wages and whoever provides those jobs, that's who they're going to support. So then you have politicians that are lobbying. There's there's a lot of money that goes into politicians, both Republicans, Democrats, because they'll promise Americans that they'll provide jobs. So they'll they'll give tax breaks to all these major corporations and large organizations rather than the small guy, the people yep. on the local level that are entrepreneurs and trying to disrupt things. They just give it back to the the one percent in a way. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Well and, and the, the academic term for that is like a political business cycle. Um, you know, which, which is like, you know, kind of a theory that business cycles are driven by politics because like the business money goes into the, to the politicians. And this absolutely happens. Um, you know, politicians, uh, you know, aren't necessarily looking out for the best interests of their citizens. They're looking out for the best interests of their wealthiest citizens, right. And most influential citizens, but for but re-election. I, for re-election to, to keep yeah. power, Every, everyone wants to keep power. Okay. Uh, no one, no one, you don't see people out there giving away power. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's sad that that statement is funny it's funny because it's like it sounds absurd <laughs> it like literally sounds absurd but the so but i don't fault the politicians for doing that right people are going to always act in their own self-interest what we have to do as as a society we have to change what is in their self-interest and this is why individual citizens need to really educate themselves uh, and understand how these systems work and how money really works and how politics really works. Because you see a lot of, uh, especially young people that are very politically active, but they're politically active in ways that actually don't benefit them, right? They're just following the herd. And uh, one of the, the things that I'm really afraid of now, speaking of herd mentality, is all the people out there uh, who are first-time investors on Robinhood, just like dumping all you know their their stimulus checks into whatever the hot stock on Robinhood is. 
and then getting on like Instagram and saying, Hey, I just made a quick grand, like follow me and, you know, check out my Robinhood portfolio and buy yeah. these stocks because you can make a quick thousand bucks. The, the retail investors, the average first time retail investor that drives up the price of that stock in the herd, mm-hmm. they're the first people, they're going to be the people that get burned when it comes down. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's very, the herd, the herd mentality is very dangerous. It's important to think for yourself, educate yourself. Rich, you read a lot, you know, it's like people need to be more like you and just like, you know, try to take their own destiny into their own hands and not be so reliant on other people and be a little more. And we've talked about this before, anti-fragile. So mm-hmm. uh, if, if they did that, I think uh, we'd be able to hold our politicians to account better. Yeah, I love that. We're running out of time here. So if you could provide listeners with one one last big <laughs> idea or conclusion. Uh, I, I guess my conclusion is that the system is fucked up and the only solution is more creative destruction. Are there some, like maybe three books you would recommend to people to kind of get their minds going about some of these ideas? You mentioned um, a, a Yeah, few I, mean, already, I, I think but... like Capitalism, Socialism, Democracy by Schumpeter is like the classic. Most of it is like, pre- again, pretty boring, unfortunately. Uh, I think a good, very readable synopsis might be Capitalism in America by Alan Greenspan. Um, you know, he he acknowledge, you know, he he of course is very very much a capitalist. He praises capitalism, but he also acknowledges that it has it has problems and he he actually concludes that entrepreneurship is is probably the best solution. So Capitalism America by Greenspan. That's a pretty pretty thorough one. I, I read that one. That's Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. yeah, it's it's good, right? I mean, it's pretty readable. Yeah. It's pretty accessible. Yeah. Um and and Capital by Thomas Piketty, if you if you uh, are not the not faint of heart, <laughs> um, because it is uh, voluminous, it's it's quite uh, lengthy. Uh, is is just now just a classic. The value of everything uh, I mentioned as well uh, is a good one. Um, but anything like uh, uh, Challenges for the 21st Century by Peter Drucker. It's really more about businesses, but he touches on some of these issues. Um, he's kind of the father of management science, but is very much a humanist, which I appreciate. Um, you know, all those all those are great. And uh, so what we didn't talk about, Rich, maybe this is another show, is, is how technology plays into this. Because a, a lot of people would point to technology and say technology is actually a huge contributor to wealth inequality. And that is true. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a whole other topic. Thanks for your time. I, that, was a, that was a good, good discussion. Uh, thanks for letting me rant. And, uh, you know, it's I, what you're I, best at, Rem. It, it actually is what I'm best at. So, um, the, uh, it, that, that sounds kind of sad actually. Uh, but, um, look, these are important issues and, and people need to be talking about them and, and having an open and honest discussion about them and then, and then figuring out how we can change, how we can change the system. But I do think that entrepreneurship is, is the, uh, is the best answer. And so, um, you know, I, I just want to encourage all, all your listeners who are entrepreneurs um, in any sense of that word. Uh, they're very important to the future of American capitalism. Thanks for listening to Rich Conversations. Again, you can follow Remington at Remington Tonar. Have an inspiring day, maybe even one that will lead you to blaze a new trail.